I speak to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Quite a new experience to walk into the sanctuary this morning and hear live music and then slowly watch each of you lovely people walk in. And I found myself feeling like we need all of your voices. We need those voices who say, why has this taken so long? And we need those voices that say, I'm a little worried about how fast we're moving into this. And I invite us to be gentle with ourselves and one another as we listen to all of those voices to urge us on to that which is in the future, but also with this sense of care and caution for those things that help us take care of one another. I've entitled my talk Apocalypse Now, and if you're my age, you probably remember that movie. Rather disturbing, a movie, one of the few movies I walked out of because I just couldn't handle it all. Uh, And along with that, I want to add the fullness of time. It's Advent 1, and yet we're still talking about apocalypse. The end of things, the fullness of time. This is the third Sunday in a row. And personally, I'd much rather contemplate the birth of a baby who's going to make it all go away. The heat, the floods, the global warming, the conflict between nations, races, political parties, residential schools, vaccinations, religious denominations, protests, all in anticipation of the frenzy of Christmas. Sometimes I tire of all the destruction and suffering and find myself crying out, Lord, how long? And if I'm honest, occasionally I say, God, where the heck are you? But distraction helps. An escape, a drink, a drug, a new purchase, a trip, a new relationship. Just get on with life. And in this vein, the avoidant words of Mark Twain lighten up my spirit. He said about the end times, if the world comes to an end, I want to be in Cincinnati because everything comes there 10 years later. As Chris reminded us last week, science tells us that everything does come to an end. And yet the scriptures, Jesus himself says to us, my words will not pass away. Would love to hear what those words are. The English novelist Jasper Fjord says that everything comes to an end. A good bottle of wine a summer's day, a long-running sitcom, one's life, and eventually our species. The question for many of us, he says, is not that everything will come to an end, but when? And can we do anything vaguely useful until it does? And at a certain level, I think Chris was delighted that I got stuck behind the flooding at the coast last weekend. Gave him another kick at the cat related to apocalypse. And if you're like me, you found his sermons not just helpful, but clarifying, reassuring, and well-crafted. A few summarizing points. Two weeks ago, he talked about or suggested we not take apocalypse literally. But then he said we do need to take it seriously. And he asked, what might the Divine Spirit be telling us or trying to tell us through these apocalyptic words? I loved his phrase that named apocalyptic writing as Middle East dreaming. Hebrew dreaming that feels sustaining and reassuring during difficult times. Dreaming in a specific context about a messenger or message 
of hope and truth, a new unveiling, a longing for an angel, a Messiah, a powerful leader who will make it all right for us. But he gave us a caution. Be careful about anyone who says they have an answer and who promises to fix it. Don't fall for it even when you feel desperate. And I think for me the key point he mentioned was that instead don't be alarmed. Easier said than done. Fear not. And as Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And today's passage we hear that this kingdom is very near. Hang on to that point. We'll come back to it. Last week in Christ's sermon, he gave us a Greek view of apocalypse and time. And for the Hebrews, the fullness of time signified the end of time. Greeks added a different view of time. Greek time was both linear, moment by moment, and layers of time, or what he named as spheres, and what I'll name, and perhaps he did, as eternity as breaking into time. And so apocalypse is about the fullness of time rather than the end of time. Hang on to that phrase as well. The fullness of time. What does it mean for time to be full? And in the midst of all the signs to the contrary, something beyond or outside of time enters the picture, or at least dances around the edge. And this is somehow the fullness of time that exists, not at some point in the future, but alongside or parallel to our time in a parallel dimension. Again, I'll mention he quoted Jesus' words to Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world, not of this cosmos. He defined cosmos as arrangement, a sacred system. My kingdom is not of this arrangement, not of this system, not of this order. And we were reminded that our earthly arrangements tend to be built on coercion and force rather than love, tend to be built on who is right rather than a sense of understanding. Christ's kingdom is this kingdom of love. It is always very near, and allow that kingdom to sustain us. So with this said as a backdrop, I want to dance with two points. One, the fullness of time. What does it mean for time to be full? And the kingdom is very near. What does it mean for the kingdom to be very near? And then I want to connect that with what 21st century dreaming might look like. So first of all, the fullness of time. Is this an invitation to become preoccupied with the end of time as a literal reality, a Middle East dream of some great recognizing judgment where something all-powerful fixes everything? I found myself asking, how has that point of view worked in the past? And I went to that reliable form of information, Wikipedia, and I asked for a list of predictors and predictions about the Second Coming. Between the first century and the 21st century, it lists 175 different people or organizations that name specific times or dates for the Second Coming. 175. Oops. The earliest one is dated around 65 AD, and they make for interesting and bizarre reading. A couple of examples. In 500 AD, 
Hippolytus said, and some others, that Jesus would return in that year, with their predictions being based on the dimensions of Noah's Ark. Christopher Columbus in the 1500s also claimed that the world was created in 5343 BCE and would last 7,000 years. Assuming no year zero, that means the end would come in 1658. One of the more bizarre ones from 1806 came from a leader, a woman named Mary Bateman in Leeds, England. In 1806, a hen began laying eggs on which the phrase, Christ is coming, was written. <laughs> she egged them on. Sorry. <laughs> the owner of the chicken, Mary Bateman, well, it turned out to be a hoax. The owner, Mary Bateman, had written on the eggs in a corrosive ink so as to etch the eggs and reinserted them back into the hen's oviduct. She was left with egg on her face. And now, currently, 2021, an American pastor named Kenton Beshore bases his prediction on the prior suggestion that Jesus would return in 1988. Within one biblical generation, 40 years of the founding of Israel in 1948. Kenton argues that the prediction was correct, but that the definition of a biblical generation was incorrect and was actually 70 to 80 years, placing the second coming of Jesus between 2018 and 2028, and the rapture during, listen to it now, 2021, at the latest. He's got a few more weeks left. And I'm sure everything that is happening in the world right now is making him salvate within anticipation. The list also contains a dozen or so predictions beyond today. Even science gets into the act, with forecasters suggesting at least a dozen future dates between 300,000 years from now and 22 billion years from now. I guess time wasn't full enough for some of them, for any of them. So let's add a wrinkle to this linear experience of time. And I want to suggest that so much about the fullness of time and the kingdom is very near are not statements about the end of time, but rather statements about a parallel reality that is there and available right alongside our concept and experience of time, available here and now, and always has been. A number of weeks ago, I spoke about the contrast between the seen world the world of our experience and the unseen world, the world that we have an intuitive sense that is there, and every time we tend to see it only out of the corner of our eye. And I simplistically brought science, the sciences of quantum physics and string theory into the discussion. I described the seen world as a world of three, perhaps four dimensions, length, width, and height as the three dimensions we live in, and time except that for us, time is always forward-moving. Science suggests that there are more dimensions, with various theories suggesting anywhere from 10 to 16 and even more that are operating alongside or parallel, parallel universes, they call them. 
I know that this is a little mind-boggling, like the unseen world, like God, perhaps. But what if all the past predictions, though wrong in the seen world, were somehow true or right in the unseen world, intuitively correct? Some of these predictors saw something, but maybe didn't see it clearly, because it cannot be seen clearly. Perhaps they were lost in the clouds of their own egos. And in the unseen world, which we call eternity, there is not a before and after. God, ultimate reality, absolute truth, goodness, and beauty dwell in the unseen world, outside of our experience of time in the three-dimensional world. The writer of Second Peter reflects on how limited our concept of time is. He says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The wonderful poet T.S. Eliot suggested that time lives in the brackets of eternity, within the brackets of pre-time eternity and post-time eternity. We tend to think of eternity as something forever in the future. He suggests that it isn't a forever in the future. It's an always. It's continual. There is no before and after for God, only an eternal present. St. Augustine grappled with this and said, and this might twist your mind, For you, O God, are infinite and never change. In you, today never comes to an end. And yet our today does come to an end in you. If it did not, it would have no means of passing. And since your years never come to an end, for you they are simply today. But you yourself are eternally the same. In your today, you will make all that is to exist tomorrow and thereafter. And in your today, you have made all that existed yesterday and forever before. This suggests, to the extent that I have any sense of understanding, that a parallel reality of the fullness of time has been true of every time and culture. The fullness of time is not about what will happen but what is always present and available alongside of our three-dimensional world. Can you think of a time in our history when these apocalyptic warnings didn't apply as descriptive of life here on Earth, in our seen world? And this should tell us that history continually repeats itself. So to base our lives only on this seen world is to get caught up in the endless repetition of grappling with what we can control and what we cannot, within a framework that tells us that everything ends. What if the fullness of time is any place where eternity touches or comes near to time? It's happened and happening all the time. And Advent is one of those times, perhaps why we link Advent and Apocalypse, beautifully described by the writer of Galatians. But when the fullness of time had come, again, still, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, 
born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Everything, if that is true, is held in the fullness of time. The Christ child came in the fullness of time. Creation happened in the fullness of time. All that has happened is happening and will happen. It is happening in the fullness of time. Pentecost happened in the fullness of time. And so what if we, by faith, held on to the fullness of time as always being available and present in eternity, a forever fullness of time? And then the words, so be, so to be on guard, to be aware, are not prescriptive statements about coming doom. The words apply to our time just as they always did in the past and will continue to apply in the future. It's not about hellfire and brimstone used to scare us into some form of institutionalized religiosity. Rather, it's a description of how awareness of the unseen world, God's kingdom, has informed how people have lived in the seen world throughout the ages by faith. The substance of things hoped for. And so our scripture in that light today. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, and on the earth. Distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then, right there in that moment, as we continually have by faith, the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness, perhaps distraction and addictions, and the worries of this life. And that day does not catch you unexpectedly, doesn't overwhelm you. He is coming in the clouds. We think this is some magical thing. I think compared to where this parallel universe is, we are in the fog. And this breaks through that fog. It makes thin places where the fog for a moment clears out of the corner of our eyes. And we see this grace that has always been there, is there in the present, and will always be there. In the midst of our fear, anxiety, and confusion, his love breaks through the clouds of our fear and confusion. The unseen world enters our seen world, not to force any sense of perfection, or to make us feel inadequate or guilty, but to assure us that the kingdom is a kingdom of love that knows no end and never has known a beginning. And so from that perspective, the second coming isn't about Jesus suddenly appearing in the clouds and coming sometime in the future to fix everything. The apocalyptic message is that the kingdom of God is in you and among you coming to invite the unseen presence of divine love in both the beauty and the ugliness of this life here and now. And so, in the fullness of time, may every day be the day of the Lord. May our continual prayer be that the unseen world informs 
and transcends how we live in the seen world and not the other way around. The Lord's apocalyptic prayer says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the fullness of time, Jesus said to us, Be aware that I am with you always, even to the ends of the seen world. Abide in my love. And whenever we live in love, we live in the fullness of time. Perhaps this is what 21st century dreaming might look like. May it be so. Amen.